lord of jealousy. It's the green-eyed monster which doth mock the meat it feeds on. Shakespeare's The Tragedy of Othello, The Moor of Venice. Believed to have been written around 1603, it's from here we receive the phrase green with envy. But what is envy and why is it so wrong? Surely a little admiration for the things others have helps us to elevate ourselves to their higher, more prestigious level? It all depends on the kinds of feelings we're comfortable having, I guess. Does envy help you become a better person? Well, I doubt it. More likely, it robs you of a lot of love, joy and happiness. Envy is defined as a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities or luck. It's a reaction to lacking something in your own life. Jealousy, however, is a reaction to the threat of losing something or usually someone. So when we feel jealous, we often feel envious as well, and yet envy and jealousy are not the same emotions. I'm intrigued by a question I've heard a number of times of late that's helped me in my own journey of better mental health. Have you been disturbed recently by unwanted thoughts or feelings? For Tilly Dillahay, her own struggle with strong feelings of envy towards those closest to her led her to examine her own heart's motivations. Tilly found that, as Corinthians 13.8 shows us, love and envy just can't coexist after all. She's written about her experiences and finding freedom from unwanted feelings of resentment in Seeing Green, Don't Let Envy Colour Your Joy. Why don't you just start by telling me a little bit more about yourself, Tilly? Who are you? What are you passionate about? What do we need to know about you, do you think? Well, I am a pastor's wife in a rural town in Tennessee. Um, so it's a very, very small place. And I'm a mom to two little girls, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And I'm expecting our third. Um, so my life is very busy with the girls in general, and I'm the author of a book that just came out this fall called Seeing Green, Don't Let Envy Color Your Joy, that is about envy. I'm also working on another book that's going to be released next year that's about food and uh, enjoying food to the glory of God. So. Wow, very interesting. Congratulations on your third child to come. That's exciting. Thank you. Thank you. You have a lot going on. Um, Let's start with pastor's wife because, well, some people now in this day and age might think, well, that's a little bit old fashioned. You have responsibilities and you lead with your husband. Mm -hmm. Some women lead in their own right uh, in a leadership position within churches. It's not as common. But of course, others still feel that their partner, their spouse is the person employed to do the job and they've just kind of come along for the ride. How would you Mm -hmm. identify your role within your local church? And how yeah. does it make you feel? Yeah, it's been it's been really great in this church um, where we are. I I think a lot of churches you you have your husband will take a a job as the pastor, and you didn't necessarily accept a position um, in the church, but still when you come in there, they expect you to run the women's ministry or to run the children's ministry or um, that's a lot of the time here in southern. Um, church culture that's sort of understood. And I really appreciate that here in this church, that is not um, an assumption among the people here that just because my husband accepted this role as the pastor that I automatically am going to behave like a staff person. Um, So I, you know, I have my own ministry, I guess, just with writing and um, things that I choose to do in the church. But in a real sense, I am like the other people here at the church. We are all 
we all have roles of service here, and I don't feel this pressure to take on a heavy load of responsibility just because my husband is is a pastor. So I think that's healthy. Yeah, it sounds healthy, and it can be a difficult uh, place for people to find their way to. Tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about your journey with, well, envy. It's it's a really big word, that big, ugly, green monster. You've written a whole book about it. Why mm-hmm. write about envy? What's your experience in this arena been like? Yeah, I, I wrote about envy because envy was a huge problem in my life, um, and writing was a big part of what God used, I think, to um, help me deal with this sin that was in my life. Um, I grew up in a in a family, a musical family in Nashville. My dad was in Christian music in the the eighties and nineties, and um, most of my siblings have some kind of a musical um, either career or just hobby. And when I was uh, about sixteen years old, I came out with a CD of jazz cover tunes that my dad produced for me, and because my sort of dream at this time was to be like the female Michael Bublé. <laughs> if, are you, I assume you're familiar I with Michael Bublé. I love Michael Bublé. I love <laughs> yes. Michael Bublé. Who doesn't? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I was a big, I guess at the time I was listening to him. I was listening to a lot of like Billie Holiday and um, Tony Bennett. And um, that's just sort of, that's where my musical tastes were. But after I put out that CD, I went off to college and just really set music aside. I didn't really have much of a work ethic when it came to pursuing music. So a few years later, the two sisters that are just younger than me in the family, they had been secretly sort of writing and uh, working on music just in the privacy of their bedrooms, basically. And they were shy enough that none of us had even heard any of the music they were making together. But they decided one day to go ahead and sort of reveal it in this little coffee shop gig, and we all went to to hear them. And I just will never forget that night of sitting there um, in the back of the room. They step behind the mic. They have a, a guitar and a ukulele, and the songs that they sing are very sort of folky. And when they opened their mouths just that first time and started to harmonize, I just, everybody sort of stopped what they were doing in the room. And um, I sat there in the back and listened with tears running down my cheeks. And, um, you know, I know part of my emotion that night was just a, a normal response to good art when you hear it. But um, another big part of what I was feeling that night was a kind of horror that this beautiful thing had had arisen cl- so close to me, but that it wasn't mine. Um, and that is a big part of of what I felt for years afterwards. Every time I had to hear them play, they they continued to develop their music. They started a band and went on the road and. Um, you know, just got better and better, recorded several CDs. And every time I had to hear them, it's like it just got more painful. Um, So it was only years later that the word envy even suggested itself to me as uh, what was going on. But in the meantime, my relationship with them had been very much interfered with. I I just kind of pulled away because I was so, I was unable to... um, it was it was painful to be close to this beautiful, glorious talent that God had given them. So um, it was only years later, I guess, just through repentance and reconciliation with them that the Lord sort of restored our relationship. But but there was time lost that 
uh, I'll never get back with them. So this is very real to me and very personal, the subject of envy. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned there about um, how it affected you. You couldn't be around such wonderful talent Mm -hmm. because you were feeling envious. What does envy do to us? What does it rub us of? Because some people might be thinking, well, it's, we're all a little bit jealous of someone. Uh, what harm mm-hmm. can it really do? Well, um, envy is, is, a, is often a private sin. It's often something you sort of uh, live with in silence because it's, it's an ugly thing and it's not something that we like to admit, certainly to the person that we're envying and not really to anybody else either. Um, but it's it's one of those things that it really it hurts you. It it may not hurt them ever nearly as much as it hurts you, but um, it it robs you of of relationship. It it interferes sometimes with our very closest relationships because a lot of the time envy flowers um, among peers. So it's the people that you. It's your siblings or your coworkers or your your best friends. The people that you compare yourself to are the people that envy tends to kind of flower up among. Um, so it can it can really it can alter relationship, and I think that's probably the biggest cost of envy. So how would you define envy, and how is it different to things like jealousy mm-hmm. or? essentially wanting what someone else has, coveting what they have. Yeah, so envy is different from jealousy and covetousness. Uh, And a lot of the time, you know, people say jealous when they mean envious, and that's not a big deal. It's just really semantics. But um, just to clarify, jealousy is is, um, concerned with something that belongs to you that is being threatened. So you could be you could be jealous and it could be a righteous emotion. Sometimes jealousy is attributed to God in the Bible when he's jealous for his people. If you were protecting, for instance, your relationship with your husband, it would be um, it would be right for you to be protective of that. But envy is is concerned with something that belongs to somebody else. It's always a sinful emotion. It's, it's never attributed to God in the Bible. And then the difference between envy and covetousness um, Covetousness just looks at something that belongs to another person and and wants it uh, and maybe thinks, you know, oh, I would love to have that too. But envy takes it personally that someone else has something that you don't have. Basically, envy envy would almost be glad to see it done away with altogether than to see someone else enjoying it. Envy is unhappy that someone else is happy. Um, So it's a very, it's, it's malicious in a way that uh, covetousness is not. How do you think that things like envy rear their heads when it comes to social media? Because when nowadays, um, you know, it's really normal mm-hmm. and people talk about sometimes, I think, the effects of social media almost like it's a bit old fashioned. <laughs> it's a bit old fashioned. This is what everyone's doing now, get with the program. But actually, mm-hmm. there are more and more studies that talk about how things like Instagram and looking at how other people are living and what they're doing in that moment and these it's not real life. A lot of these images, it's it's staged, it's the, it's the highlights reel, as we call it. But there are plenty of studies that talk about how this affects our mental health and perhaps we don't. And also just, I think, young people have started to comment a lot more about how it simply doesn't make them feel good. And so they're understanding more. This doesn't make me feel great about myself. Let me just put this down for a few hours and kind of being more aware of some of the effects of it not making you feel that great. Um, w- would you say that there's a connection with jealousy for sure, but certainly envy when it comes to how we're connecting with our world online. Yes. I mean, I, I, I do think people have been jealous and envious as long as 
um, as long as there have been people. So, you know, envy is not new, and it's it's certainly not caused by social media. Because, um, you know, you have people in, in small villages and studies that have been done over the, in, the sort of cultural envy that you find in even undeveloped countries. But um, I think there is definitely a, a, a kind of envy that we're experiencing with social, social media that we've never had to deal with before because we have never had to see so many lives paraded in front of us um, to compare ourselves to in the history of mankind. We've never had to had this kind of volume just of um, other people's highlights, basically. They're sort of highlights reel of their of their lifestyle. And um, it's just, it's more than we've had to deal with in the past. So I do think, I think it's, it's, um, it's a different ball game than it was in years past. Yeah. So how do you think that um, 20s and even 30-year-olds, you know, millennials of all ages and also the generation that's come mm-hmm. after the millennial, how can we be better prepared to tackle things like this? Because it does look different in our day and age. Like now, it does look different for this 20 and 30-something generation than it looks for somebody mm-hmm. who is perhaps 40 or 50s. It's, and I think it's probably a bigger issue than we perhaps realise. Perhaps these things are bubbling under the surface and affecting us, but we haven't necessarily identified with, oh, I actually have a real a real problem with envy. I just, I didn't realise that A, it was causing me harm or that it was that mm-hmm. big of a problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important. Um, it would be wonderful if we as a generation could just step back and, maybe disconnect ourselves from this online world for longer periods of time than we do. And um, I do think also that that we are a, we're a group of people that are um, a little bit immature in just the way we carry on our, our real life relationships. We, we're not as sure how to do that. And I think part of the reason is that we spend so much time relating to each other online. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think it would be a great place to start if we could discipline ourselves to unplug um, and just just maybe set some limits in our lives for what role um, the screen is going to play. But um, but again, you know, envy envy as a as a heart problem, as a worship problem, has been around for a really long time. And I've been amazed at how many 40 year old, 50 year old, 60 year old women have communicated to me about envy that they've experienced and that they even currently experience. When I think when I began writing this book, I sort of thought of this as a young people's problem. Um, and apparently it's not. Apparently it's just a human problem. So what does the Bible say about envy? Well, the Bible says, first of all, that envy is among the markers of a mankind that's sort of given over to idolatry. Um, in Romans 1, Paul talks about envy. It's, it leads up this sort of list of sins that he delves into. And, and a lot of the sins that he mentions are sort of sister sins to envy, things like gossip and uh, maliciousness and but in that passage, he's just—he's basically saying when we cease to worship God and we choose to worship creation instead of the Creator, this is what we're going to look like. We're going to be a people who are just backstabbing, um, unable to unable to really love each other, unable to really operate well in His world, and we'll, we just sort of degenerate into this very petty list of of problems. And envy is one of those. How does envy look different on women than on men? Because I'm I'm sure some people might be mm-hmm. thinking, well, this is a bigger issue for women. Surely this is mm-hmm. something that every girl needs to think about. But it must affect mm-hmm. men as well. 
Yeah, and I know that it does affect men, but I I guess just in the conversations I've had, it does seem like women are much quicker to identify with this. Uh, and maybe it's because men, I think maybe men are competitive in a different way than women are. Um, women can be competitive in a very sort of personal uh, way that is obsessive and, and can can be stretched out over long periods of time, I guess, and maybe more secretive about their competitiveness, whereas men are, are more likely maybe to just to op- sort of openly um, challenge each other. But I don't know. I, I, I do think, obviously, men are envious as well. But um, but I know a lot more about female envy. So <laughs> that's, you know, that's my that's my area of experience. And, <laughs> and most of the conversations I have are yeah. with women about this topic. So Yeah. So then how do you, um, you mentioned competitiveness there, and we do get quite competitive. Men, <laughs> men will compete in their relationships different to how women behave in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you ensure that you have healthy relationships that of, of where there is no envy or there is no jealousy of of uh, of your friends? How do you build um, relationships where you identify you identify these things when they come up, so that as you mentioned earlier, you can actually become close to these people, even if you feel mm-hmm. somewhat envious or even if you feel somewhat threatened, and and so that future relationships don't suffer. Yeah, I, I do think it's it's helpful to go ahead and, and identify right away that your heart is going to is going to continue to produce this this issue is going to come up again. Basically, don't don't assume that because you dealt with it with the one relationship that you're not going to be dealing with envy again. Because um, I've been through you know several rounds of this just with different people, and it depends on seems like it depends on the season that I'm in in my life and what I'm. What I'm valuing um, in the book, I just I talk about different areas of life that we tend to envy, different uh, glories in people that we tend to see, and um, and it seems like my envy has kind of shifted depending on what it is in that season of life that I'm pursuing the hardest and maybe valuing. But um, you know, I I think that we have we have so many great directives in Scripture about how to carry on relationships and how to love people, how to practice love, that uh, we have a lot we can work on. I do think when it comes to envy that you've already identified, that you're already dealing with in a specific relationship, there are real specific things that I talk about in the book um, for kind of digging yourself out or at least beginning that process. And one of the things is to do is um, to start praying for that person that you are envying, praying, praying, thanking God for the success that He's given them in that area of life, um, and then praying that He would continue it. So basically, praying for their success the way you would pray for your own, um, which is a great place to start. And another another thing to think about is whether it is a relationship in your life you're going to have to go and confess. Um, that envy to them, which is a very difficult conversation to have. But um, depending on how close you've been and whether that relationship has been uh, harmed in any way by your envy, you know, there's been lost intimacy over it. It may be the only way to really move forward because what I've found, at least in my life, is that typically they know something is wrong. Like they know that there's some kind of a, a weirdness between you. They may not know what it is. But um, they they know that something has changed, and um, and I've never I've never confessed envy to anyone and had them respond with anything except 
open-armed, just readiness to to forgive and to to kind of move forward in the relationship. So, but it takes a lot of it. Definitely takes wisdom. You don't want to just stomp around, kind of bringing every thought you've ever had about somebody to your lips and telling them about it because uh, that would be chaos. So, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it takes, it takes some discernment definitely. And those are things that I, I talk about in the book, but it is interesting though, because as you mentioned earlier, this area of envy, it's so personal. It's such a private, Mm -hmm. um, thing to carry around and it really damages you more than it damages other people, but it can damage Mm -hmm. your relationship. So how do we have these conversations? I mean, I think it's great. We're talking about Mm -hmm. it now. How do we take conversations like this into the public forum? And do you think we talk about it enough in church settings and in our Christian Mm -hmm. communities? Yeah, I, I don't think we do talk about it in church settings. Um, I don't know what it's like over there in the UK. I know that that here, um, you know, there's a just culturally in the church, there's a lot of awareness that this is an this is an ugly thing, and I don't know, it's just not something that I hear talked about. I hear it talked about more in secular culture than in the church, and in secular culture, it's just this sort of acknowledged thing that envy. Obviously, everybody feels envy. Um, you want to be envied. You want to be in a position where people envy you. In yes. fact, in advertising. Sometimes that's part of the promise that they'll make for a product is that this product will make you the object of envy. Um, but it's just so, so in the world, it's just kind of understood. Like, obviously, if someone is in a better position, they're going to be envied. So you just want to be on the right side of that. You know, you want to be envied, but you don't want to be envying because there's there's nothing fun about that. Mm. Um, whereas in the church, you know, we we know enough to know that this is not how we're supposed to feel. Um, but what I don't hear is a lot of open conversation about the fact that we do still experience this. Um, and the, and you know when you're if you're sitting down to tell the object of your envy that you have been envying them, it, that is just it's like rubbing salt in the wound that's already open because in order to tell them that you envy them, first you have to admit that you think they're better than you are in an area of life that you particularly value. That's why you've been envying them in the first place. So first you have to sort of um, name this feeling of inferiority that always comes with envy. And then you have to tell them, and because of that, I wanted you to fail in this area or I wanted you to not um, not be so happy in this way or you know whatever it is. So basically I had I had feelings of, of harm, um, you know, wishing you harm, basically. So it's very, it is personal, and it's there's no way you can sort of wiggle it around to make it attractive or endearing. It's just not one of those sins that is cute in any way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not cute. It's just not cute. <laughs> it's not. It's not cute. Doesn't look good on you. Um, wishing to be envied, though. That I mean, that's such a good point because you know all the advertising and whatever else. It's. There's so many things in our culture that we see every day that we perhaps don't realize. If you buy this, if you look like this, Mm -hmm. if you wear this, if you're associated with these people, if you're in this group, you will Mm -hmm. be um, somebody that others look to and think, I want what she's having, you know, a Mm -hmm. bit of envy, a bit Mm -hmm. of wanting to be around that person. Is that dangerous, this wishing to be envied? Absolutely. I mean, it's that is um, that comes from. A, a worldly economy that assumes the only way to win is to be the fastest and the best and to sort of come out on top. It's a, you know, it's it's the dog-eat-dog sort of nature that we're all born with. 
I guess there's an there's an economy that Christ brought that is very different from that, um, and it's an economy where the the least are greatest, and where the meek shall inherit the earth, and um, it's an economy where the strongest person is not necessarily um, the person that you want to be, and you know it's 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 counter to our instincts but it's also what makes the gospel so beautiful um and so different it's um a natural feeling as in it it comes with our fallen natures to want people to envy us but it it has no place in the church and it has no place in the gospel yeah one of the things i'm really drawn to at the moment um is just kind of reevaluating my pace so how fast mm-hmm. I move, how quickly I get work done, even how fast I talk or how I, how I go <laughs> through things. I'm, I'm, fr- I'm from a, a, a community, both in a faith sense, but also in a um, professional field in broadcasting where everything happens very quickly. Everything uh-huh. has to happen yeah. yesterday. So I'm uh-huh. really drawn to looking at um, who, who have I allowed to set my pace for me? Is this what I want mm-hmm. or am I just kind of being pulled around as it were without realizing it and do I want to <laughs> is that the kind of pace that I want to live at so when it comes to this culture of thinking that the only way is to be the fastest and to be the best and that's how you win I really get that I think there's a lot of achievement driven culture that's been pushed on me throughout my lifetime that I perhaps mm-hmm. haven't necessarily known to address because it's been so normal I thought well, there's nothing wrong with that wanting to do great things mm-hmm. for God um mm-hmm. Is there another way to live? Like, how do we win without necessarily pushing, pushing, pushing through, taking time, being more reflective? Because I think for a lot of people that isn't very attractive. They, they might think, well, if I'm bossing at life and if I'm doing great things for God, then I should be moving quickly and swiftly and, and literally being the best and everyone takes notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well... Um you know, one of the the sort of underlying structure of what I'm talking about in this book with envy is about glory, and just about the fact that we we all have this inborn appetite for glory because of our our sort of homesickness for God. Um, this is the kind of thing you'll read about if you do. You like C.S. Lewis at all? Do you ever read Absolutely. C.S. Lewis? Absolutely. He's, he's yeah. He's a proper yeah. celeb. Everyone's read some C.S. Lewis. I just yeah. I, I just sort of assume over there certainly that people in the church <laughs> like C.S. Yeah, Lewis. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So he is. He that was something that he just explored so well was was this um, this homesickness that we have this longing that we have that he called joy and. What I what I sort of connect this to in the book is the fact that we have an appetite for glory. We have an appetite for God to look at us and say, well done. And that that is part of the promise that we've actually been given, um, that, you know, there will be a day when we stand before this, this being that we've longed for our entire lives. And He, because of what Christ did on the cross, He will look at us and say, um, this is good, and and recognize us as his children and as his sort of workmanship. But um, but the other thing to recognize is that he he is he is glory itself. But he has placed bits of glory in everything that he's created, and that includes mankind who is made in his image. So when we are responding to these things we see in other people that are sort of intimidating to us um, or that we envy in other people, these are glories that He has deliberately placed in them. Um, And there are glories that He has deliberately placed in us. So, I don't know, when you ask about, you know, can we can we work hard to succeed um, as Christians or to 
to be the best as Christians. Um, I think there's a part of that we can recognize as God-given. We know that we were made in His image and that we are, are slowly, as Christians, we're being made over into the image of Christ. So, a different kind of glory is being given to us over time as we become holy. Um, but we also know that when we work, we work to the glory of God, that we, you know, we, we, we try to um, pursue excellence as people who are not, we're not just working for our own good. And, you know, we're not just working for our own glory. We, we've actually been given a job to do. Um, so, yeah, I just, I think part of what we're learning as believers is that the work we do is, is not, um, is not because we're the center of our own story. We work because we are part of a story that God is telling. Uh, and that means that we can pursue excellence, but we can pursue it as people who aren't trying to earn our way into being significant because um, He's already He's already stamped us with His sort of stamp of significance. We're His children. Uh, so does that make sense? Yes. And I think um, if we understood better that we... We don't earn our significance. That would take yes. so much of the pressure mm-hmm. off when it comes to achieving every day as well, as well as achieving with excellence, which can turn into perfection. It's kind of like a, a slippery slope or a treadmill that we, a lot of us, I think, are on just without really realizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you begin to see the world that way as this sort of this thing that God is doing that you just get to be a part of, you also begin to... Um, to see these these things that other people are accomplishing or these glories that he's given other people and to have eyes that can sort of rejoice over that and praise him for it and um, and just get excited I guess that that he he's doing something in you but he's also doing something in other people that you can see you can witness it and um, and enjoy it Yes. And if you're envious of someone, it's going to be very difficult to enjoy their wins and enjoy enjoy their Absolutely. achievements with them, Yeah, which is mm-hmm. a big part of what relationships and friendships are. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, to be to actually love somebody means to desire their good and to feel pleasure when, when they have um, something good in their life and yeah. to feel pain when they have something bad in their life. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. because these kind of conversations, it can if it's something you're struggling with, you've got to know it's going to feel uncomfortable inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes yeah. you squirm a little bit, but it's really good to talk about. Uh, well, something I always do for the Heart of Heart series is um, really explore perhaps something that you know now that you didn't know 10 years ago that you really think has been a valuable life lesson for you. What did you wish you knew uh, a decade ago that you know now that you'd pass on to others? Mm, I guess um, 10 years ago, I was just I was just becoming a Christian. So 10 years ago, I didn't know what it would be like to be a Christian woman and to be I guess to to learn how to be in close relationship with others and to love them. I guess if I was going to if I was going to pass one thing on, it would just be as a believer, we have a totally different way of living now and it is a joy to learn and it is a, it's a joyful process uh, to find that you're actually being transformed into somebody who loves for, maybe for the first time. Hmm. How did you come to faith? Uh, well, I was I was actually I was raised in a Christian home, but when I was a college student and the few, the few years after college, I was an agno- I was sort of openly agnostic, 
And there was a point when I came out to do some counseling with a, a biblical counselor, like a Christian counselor. Um, and he was actually located out here in, in this tiny town where I currently live. <laughs> He's one of the other pastors at this church. But I agreed to come out and do counseling. He was an old family friend. And um, I was there just sort of arguing about scripture and sort of presenting like what my objections to the faith were with him for for several weeks li- living actually in the in the home with his family they sort of hosted me and at the end of 2 weeks I I was a believer I I was um I think the Lord had really sort of prepared me for those couple of weeks but um yeah it was it was like going from a a, a life that has no floor no ceiling and no walls to having structure in my in my mind again for the first time and just just seeing that the god of scripture is a god to be trusted so yeah that i was about it was 10 years ago and uh 10 years ago last year so and so much has happened in your life since then well thank you so much for sharing mm-hmm. so much of your story today tilly what i hope what are you hoping that readers take away from your new book seeing green well i would like to see them um look at envy honestly in their in their lives and I would love to see some of these relationships that have gone sort of undiagnosed these problems have gone undiagnosed in their lives for a long time I would love to see them um, turn to the Lord for help and to see healing in those relationships well thank you so much for your time what can we look forward to uh, from you in 2019. I mean, you've, you've already mentioned that you have a baby on the way and that you're writing another yeah. book. So maybe 2019 yeah. is already really full for you. Yeah, it's funny. My uh, Last year, my husband and I were saying like, okay, I think in the next couple of years, we need to decide either baby or book. Either I, <laughs> I write another book or, or another baby. And now it looks like I have the same deadline for both of them. So I have to finish writing a book before May when the baby comes (laughs) Um, because I'm useless for writing for six months after a baby comes, apparently. But um, yeah, so 2019 will mainly be pushing out a book and a baby. (laughs) And then in 2020, we'll uh, hopefully... The, that that book about food will be com- coming out. So, Well, thank you so much, Tilly, for your time. Seeing Green, Don't Let Envy mm-hmm. Color Your Joy is available now from Harvest House and wherever good books are sold. Thank you for your time and have a really good day. Thank you so much. Have a great one. My thanks to Tilly Dillahay for sharing her journey with us a bit today. You can read more of her story in Seeing Green, Don't Let Envy Colour Your Joy, which is available now from Harvest House. Thanks for listening. I look forward to having your company again soon.